0: Hello, Secret Movie Clubbers. Today, you're going to be introduced to a hybrid podcast. Uh, I am reposting today, or we are reposting today, Secret Movie Club podcast number one, the very first one we ever did right around when COVID hit. At the same time, even though we're taking August... To get ready for our fall season. There's some very big series that we're working on. And there are a number of things that I really, really want to get done. And probably most importantly, here at the start, uh, our goal is to be back with all new, brand new podcasts with the team September 1st, Friday, September 1st. So in a month. Uh, in the meantime, for the next few weeks, I wanted to repost interesting podcasts from the beginning that if you're new to the podcast or you haven't heard the old ones, it might be interesting to hear some of these reposts. But I didn't just want to do reposts for August. The hybrid here is I wanted to talk a little bit at the head. Movies that were meant to be made one way and whether it was during production or post-production got totally changed. Uh, and and often, weirdly, for the better. These are movies uh, like Dr. Strangelove, The Conversation, uh, Sexy Beast, Annie Hall, Blazing Saddles, World War Z, uh, and Apocalypse Now. What we really want to do is want to give you a little new uh, and then a repost that might be interesting of a podcast maybe you haven't heard. Uh, and then come September 1st, we will be back with all new pods for the rest of the year. Uh, God willing, knockwood. I'm a superstitious person. So, uh, in the meantime, uh, this week, by the time that you hear this tonight, Friday, we are gonna be showing Wet Hot American Summer. Uh, and so we're showing that uh, tomorrow night at 7.30, uh, we're showing it Friday, by the time you hear this, it'll probably be today. Uh, Friday, uh, July twenty eighth, seven thirty. Uh, Wet, hot American summer, and then uh, at nine forty five, we're doing our encore of our. We've got thirty five millimeter prints of Alejandro Jodorowsky's El Topo and Holy Mountain. Holy Mountain is my favorite Jodorowsky. The our first showing just sold out. Sold out. So if you hear this and you want to see these movies on 35, uh, this is a rare chance to do that. Uh, We are going to do that tonight at 945. As of this recording, which is a day before, uh, we are already halfway sold out, more than halfway sold out. We probably should have tickets if you want to make a last minute decision. But if you hear this, you may want to get tickets online just to be safe. Uh, And then on Monday, it is the return of movie trivia, sorta, hosted by uh, Conan O'Brien uh, comedian Kyle Ayers. And then on Wednesday, August 2nd, those are both sold out. Um, we doing the, we're going to show the Lackadaisy animated pilot that's already gotten something like 9 million views on YouTube. It's like early dawn Bluth animation, uh, like The Secret of Nim, or Land Before Time or An American Tale, but even more uh, adult, done by uh, the Iron Circus team and the filmmakers are gonna be here to do a Q&A. Uh, it sold out immediately. We added an encore, that sold out immediately. That is Wednesday, August 2nd. However, we often have a few people who don't show. So uh, if you're willing to come in and be on standby, we often are able to get in about the first four to six people uh, that we put on that standby list. Uh, but there are no guarantees. Uh, but if you want to talk to people who basically crowdfunded uh, the money to make a pilot, made a pilot, then used the media that's currently available to get it out there, i.e. YouTube, and now, I was just told uh, by their team, they just crowdsourced another 300000 to go into series. So if you're a filmmaker, uh, again, this is already sold out, but you may want to be on standby. standby. This is a night you may wanna come and ask some questions. And then Thursday, August 3rd, we are doing uh, On 35 Millimeter, Scott Pilgrim Versus the World, my personal favorite Edgar Wright movie. Uh, and we're showing it on 35, and that is almost sold out. By the time you hear this, we'll still have some tickets, but I'm looking at the ticket count right now on, on Thursday, and we have 27 tickets left. So if you wanna come see Scott Pilgrim On 35 Millimeter, you may wanna get tickets now, and that's what's coming up this week. If you want to write us, write us at community at secretmovieclub.com. If you want to see everything we're doing, go to secretmovieclub.com, our website. We've got our pods up there, movie store blogs. Uh, we did we've done TV shows we did for the city about movies, et cetera, et cetera. You can find out all about us there. Sign up for our newsletter and If you like what we do, reviews definitely help. Uh, So if you don't mind giving us a Google or a Yelp review, we would be grateful. Uh, And if you like this pod and you can give us a Spotify or Apple podcast review, uh, those are greatly appreciated as well. Okay, now for real, moving on. So uh, today, before we go into the repost, and just uh, again, the repost is going to be the very first podcast we ever recorded, which uh, was roughly, if I remember, the beginning of April uh, 2020, maybe the end of March 2020. uh, We had to shut down the theater March 15th. I remember that for sure, uh, because that was the day the city said, stop. And uh, we shut down, and we're like, well, what are we going to do? We didn't want to be static. So we all decided, hey, there's this thing, Zoom. Basically, we all, just from our apartment, started recording, and uh, you're going to hear that today, the very first Secret Movie Club podcast. Uh, And that is coming up in just a few minutes. What I wanted to talk about, just to have a little new, something new, I, I, yeah, just something new all of these movies and how important it is to remember that some of our favorite movies had drastic changes happen during production or in post-production that were never intended that had to happen either by necessity or the movie didn't work. And then the movie came out and became a monster hit. And everybody looks at the film as if that's basically how it was from the beginning but i think it's always it's helpful for filmmakers and i'm probably saying this to myself because i'm editing my my first feature film right now i'm probably saying this to myself as well because i still want this first feature to be good uh and it needs tons and tons of work and it's going to need some recutting some reshaping and some reimagining uh so that being said uh we recently showed Jonathan Glazer's first movie, Sexy Beast, which I love. I love Sexy Beast. And I love all his movies. They're all really interesting. Uh, He made a movie called Birth with Nicole Kidman. Very strange, very Kubrickian movie. Then he made a movie Under the Skin, which many of you probably know, with Scarlett Johansson as an alien. And his most recent movie, which I believe is called The Zone of Interest. Uh, just won one of the top prizes at Cannes 2023 and is about uh, Nazi guards in their home just outside of a concentration camp. Uh, But in Sexy Beast, there's this incredible performance by Ben Kingsley Uh, And I highly recommend, if you've never seen the movie, just get it now. It is a fun gangster, British gangster movie, totally in the tradition of Michael Caine's Get Carter, uh, the Bob Hoskins and Helen Mirren starring uh, The Long Good Friday. I love British gangster movies. Mona Lisa, Neil Jordan's Mona Lisa, which isn't exactly a gangster movie, but Michael Caine plays a badass gangster in it. Uh, The the, and Sexy Beast came out in 2000, and Ben Kingsley uh, plays this incredible gangster who comes to Spain to try to uh, enlist a retired gangster played by Ray Winston, who now is just sort of drinking and hanging with his love of his life and sort of getting sunburnt and, and overweight uh, in Spain to come do a heist. And, uh, what happens from there is fascinating. What a lot of people don't know is that the original cut of the movie, Ben Kingsley had a twin brother and when Ray Winston, and I don't want to ruin anything, so I'm going to be very vague here. But, uh, in the last third of the movie, when Ray Winston returns to England in the cut that was originally shown to audiences. Ben Kingsley had a whole other part as the twin brother of the gangster that had come to Spain. And uh, my understanding is that it just didn't work. It was a little too clever, a little too cute, a little too complicated. And the audience, it it just didn't work. And they ended up cutting out that character completely. And I never thought about that until I did the research because the movie's like a tight 90. It is a tight 90. And uh, I love it. I love that it's a tight 90 interestingly enough, it was actually written and intended to be about an hour 50. And there was 20 minutes. I, I gleaned 20, 25 minutes of Ben Kingsley playing uh, a twin, all taken out. And then, so what's interesting is the the final part of the movie flies by and it does feel a little like something, you're missing something, not in a bad way, but you the movie's just like cook and cook and cook into the end. And So what's interesting is that was out of necessity. It wasn't working. They had to take it out. And they weren't going to go back and reshoot it. And so they took out a whole storyline about a twin brother. And that is fascinating to me that the movie works as well as it does. And that they were the filmmakers, Glazer and his editor. they, They were open enough to accepting that something wasn't working to make a drastic change like that. Another movie that I think about is uh, Woody Allen's Annie Hall, Best Picture winner of 1977, Annie Hall. Uh, originally, and I highly recommend you read the editor of, editor of that, his autobiography. and It's called When the Shooting Stops, The Cutting Begins by Ralph Rosenblum. And a lot of that book is dedicated to Annie Hall, which originally was called Anhedonia, which I believe means someone who has a fear of being around other people. And it was a much more anarchic, sprawling stream-of-consciousness piece about uh, the Woody Allen character, Alvy Singer's middle age. And Diane Keaton, and her part, Annie Hall, was a part of the movie, but uh, only a part of it. Uh, There are these famous sequences that none of us will ever see where Woody Allen plays for the Knicks and uh, other stream-of-consciousness things that happen. Well, when the movie was done and they put it together, it didn't work. It just didn't work. And, uh, you know, I, I... I don't know. You know, I don't want to speak out of my neck, so I'm not going to, but chances are maybe people found it narcissistic, uh, found it indulgent, found it a little uh, too self-absorbed or self-looking. Uh, but what did work, every uh, scene and beat that did work, was Diane Keaton and uh, her character Annie Hall. And so uh, Woody Allen and Ralph Rosenblum just accepted that this is the part of the movie that was working. They took out most of everything else and just made the movie a relationship movie about uh, D- Annie Hall and Alvy Singer's relationship. And it, be, and if you've never seen the movie, I do highly recommend it. It is one of the great movies, I think, about the kind of relationship you're in that— uh, it, you're in love with the other person, you spend a significant uh, portion or period of your life with that person, but then it doesn't work out. You you break up and you move on. That's, that's what the movie is, essentially. And by refocusing uh, from what it was originally going to be to being about the life cycle of this kind of relationship, uh, it... Is incredibly powerful, and th- the thing that's interesting to me is the anarchic spirit is still in there. When you see Annie Hall, it it, it still cuts to Alvy's past. There's an animated sequence uh, there. Uh, there's a great sequence in a movie theater where he pulls out Marshall McLuhan. There's still all that stuff where it's stream of consciousness, but it it all the stuff they kept revolved around this through line of the story of uh, Diane Keaton, Annie Hall, and and that relationship. So that again to me, and I've heard that in a lot of Woody Allen's movies, uh, when he really had that amazing period from Annie Hall to, uh, you know, Bullets Over Broadway, or you could say, um, you know, Murder Over Man, or uh, Manhattan Murder Mystery, excuse me. Uh, He did, he actually ended up Understanding that that was going to have to be part of his process and he he quite frequently reshot parts of his movie and had it in his budget that he would have a week or two of reshoots and supposedly the whole ending of crimes and misdemeanors was a reshoot didn't work the, the way they first had it so Woody Allen scrapped it. Uh, reshot the ending, and the ending's brilliant. Crimes and Misdemeanors is one of his best movies, in my opinion. Uh, another movie I'll just touch on real briefly is Stanley Kubrick's Dr. Strangelove. There, the change is, compared to what we were talking about, relatively small, but uh, Peter Sellers was supposed to actually play all the main roles, and uh, he started to shoot the sequence in the airplane, and he was going to play the Slim Pickens part of Colonel Kong, who ends up riding the bomb uh, at the end of the movie. And um, Peter Sellers, as I've read it and heard, that was the one role. He still plays three roles in the movie, Uh, the president, uh, Captain Mandrake, and uh, Dr. Strangelove. But he just couldn't—you know, this um, good old boy American colonel, he just couldn't nail it. Um, And maybe because he was British, maybe he just didn't feel it. Uh, He hurt his ankle in the movie. Uh, during the shoot and uh, he just told Kubrick to cast someone else and they cast Slim Pickens uh who you can you, it's hard to imagine anybody but Slim Pickens now in that role and his iconic riding the bomb down like it's a bull and you know yahoo but that's something where Kubrick originally wanted Peter Sellers to do it and uh because uh of Peter Sellers turning an ankle or breaking an ankle we got Slim Pickens and and Kubrick went with it and it probably worked out for the best Uh, You know, more recently, uh, there's World War Z, the Brad Pitt starring uh, zombie movie. And what's interesting to me there, same thing. They shot an ending that was more of a big budget, as I understand it, zombie attack on the Kremlin in Russia, thousands of CGI zombie extras, and it did not play. It was too busy, too digitally busy, didn't land. Felt weirdly anonymous, weirdly bland. So they brought in Damon Lindelof of Lost and Watchmen and, you know, amazing writer. And he said, well, let's do the exact opposite. Let's make the ending about finding the, you know, patient zero, the first zombie. Uh, And let's make that in a lab. And it's Brad Pitt in a lab with this one potential zombie patient Totally the opposite. So instead of this huge, big-budget movie getting this huge, big-budget climax, they go Hitchcockian, two people in a lab, and it worked. Uh, and it's interesting that Damon Lindelof probably had the intelligence as a writer to say, well, what's not working is it's been big the whole time. Let's go contrast and go small. The I'm also thinking uh, Francis Ford Coppola has two great stories in the conversation which I I I always I'm torn between Conversation and Godfather Two is my favorite Coppola movie, but I love them both probably co-equally. In the Conversation, Coppola and Walter Murch, his uh, editor and sound guy, talk about how they weren't quite landing. When Gene Hackman realizes he's misunderstood, the if you've never seen the movie, Gene Hackman plays Harry Call, the surveillance expert who's great at recording people without them knowing it, and he gets very paranoid because he believes he's been hired for a job where people are going to get killed, and this has happened to him before, and he wants to no part of that, doesn't want blood on his hands again. Uh, this time, though... The movie opens with the sequence where Gene Hackman and his team are recording the conversation between this man and woman in one of San Francisco's famous parks, I think Union Park or Union Square. And the they just the movie and how are we going to communicate this psychological realization Gene Hackman has he's made a mistake and Walter Merch if I'm telling the story right was listening to all the line readings that Cindy Williams and Frederick Forrest had In the conversation, and there's this one line, he'd kill us if he had a chance. And Walter Merch just happened to come across the one time the two of them said it differently. And they said, well, he would kill us if he had a chance. And supposedly, that was like, there it is. They're going to kill him. Sorry, spoiler (laughs) Um, and uh, they put it in and it worked and the audience got it. And Francis Ford Coppola said that was totally not intended. Uh, it was a discovery in post-production. And the final story is Apocalypse Now, one of the most famous. When Coppola hired Brando, he I don't know why he thought this, uh, but he thought he was going to be getting 50s or 60s lean brando who would pass as a, you know this amazing colonel colonel kurtz you know lean fit general and when brando showed up on set he w- he was overweight not not you know hugely but just in a way where it'd be hard to believe that this guy was a military colonel, like a famed, one of the most respected and, and decorated military colonels. But uh, in just, you know, Coppola had to just figure it out. He, you know, he was already at the end of his rope. I think he'd already had a heart attack and suffered some nervous breakdowns. He was paying for the movie out of his own pocket. Not You know, it was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. But he and Brando and Vittorio Storaro, as I understand it, they all, all three— Genius collaborators. I can't either think about those three names in the same sentence Uh, Coppola, Storaro, Brando. They all just banged heads, came up with this idea that maybe Colonel Kurtz, in disappearing into the jungle and becoming this weird leader of this uh, tribe in the jungle, was probably uh, starting to go to I don't, know, I don't want to say go to seed, but he was enjoying his power and maybe becoming a king and eating a lot, and uh, that made sense. And then they put him in shadow. They put Brando in shadow, and Brando wanted to play the character like an element. We actually had Brando's daughter, Rebecca Brando, come in and say that her dad's idea was he wanted to play Colonel Kurtz like smoke, like water, like an element. Um, And uh, so these three different ideas, the Storaro's lighting idea, hey, I'll take care of this by leaving him in shadow a lot and he'll just come in and out of shadow. There'll be smoke and shadow and Coppola being open to working with an actor because Coppola is such a great actor, director, director of actors. And then Brando being a genius and coming in uh, with a great way to play the part. They, They collaborated, they compromised, they figured it out. And I, you know, I think it's probably the last... Great, great Brando performance. And uh, Rebecca Brando told me, I, I still have it, I should post it, that um, she told me privately uh, that uh, her dad used to have a once a year gathering of the kids. And he had just shot Apocalypse Now, still bald, and he was just rubbing his head, rubbing his head, rubbing his head in Vail, Colorado at a table at a, like a you know house he had rented. And she went up to him and said, Dad, what's wrong? And he looked at her and he said, I can't stop doing this. Uh, and he said, Rebecca, this is the last time, uh, I do a role the old way. I just can't do it anymore. Uh, and I think he was responding to the method, uh, what he did to get into the character. He couldn't shake the character and it was just, he was done. He'd given 30, 40 years of his life to doing it that way. And it was just so draining. Um. And that was always a fascinating story. So there you go. Uh, There's some thoughts. Let's move on to the repost. So this is actually going to turn into a longer podcast, but hopefully some new content. And now uh, the very first podcast Secret Movie Club ever did. Enjoy. I'm actually going to start recording now because I'm an editor and anything is gold. But once we officially start, we haven't officially started, Edwin, uh, please Keep swearing to, like, non-existent or a minimum.
1: Okay. Uh, first off, i like to say uh, I saw Mr. Burbank last night, and I want to get this out of there right now, that uh, this is the worst movie I've ever seen.
0: What's Mr. Burbank? I haven't even heard of that.
1: We're <laughs> no, uh, Saving Mr. Burbank. It's that uh, movie, of uh, The Making of Mary Poppins.
0: Oh, uh, you mean with Tom Hanks and... Uh... Welcome to the Secret Movie Club podcast. Uh, my name is Craig Hamill. I'm the founder programmer of Secret Movie Club. We've got the Secret Movie Club team with us today. Uh, guys, let's do an introduction. Let's go. Yeah, whoever, who wants to start first? Who do we have on the podcast? Why don't we do seniority? <laughs> okay, well, then by order of joining, which would be Daniel first. Go for it,
2: Daniel. <laughs> Hello, I'm Daniel Hunt. Hi, I'm Conor cruz I'm a Taurus.
1: I'm uh, Edwin Gomez, an uh, oppressionist. I uh, do oppressions
0: of people. Okay, give us an impression right now, Edwin. This uh,
1: coronavirus is not going to keep it down, Craig. Ain't going to
0: keep it down. You've been beating that Bruce Dern impression into the ground, Edwin. <laughs> no, there you go. You've got uh, Daniel, Connor, Edwin, and well, myself. Only,
2: only man to kill John Wayne. Friend, what movie? Oh, I
0: that's right. That too. What was that movie called? The Cowboys? The Cowboy, yeah. Okay, I The uh, I wanna welcome you Secret Movie Clubbers. Uh, this is our first ever podcast recorded in the time of coronavirus. We are recording this March 25th, uh, 2020. So maybe this will become some kind of document for the future, maybe not. I just wanna first start off by wishing everybody out there, all the Secret Movie Clubbers and just everybody the best. I know everyone's just figuring this out as we go week by week. I'm gonna make just a few quick announcements. We're gonna jump into our main topic. Our main topic today is uh, your personal top 35 movies. For the last two weeks, since we've all had to stop movie screenings, for anybody who listens to this in the future, Uh, Basically, the coronavirus has hit the United States and the entire world. And two weeks ago, basically, everybody decided that group events of any kind were just not right. So we're practicing what's called social distancing. Everybody's supposed to be six feet or more away from each other. And one of the things I did was I posted my top personal 35 movies. The secret movie clubbers, actually, all over the country, chimed in with their thoughts. Uh, We're going to weave you guys into this podcast. And then Daniel. Connor and Edwin also thought about this, and uh, so that's gonna be our main topic. We're gonna end with what I'm calling Pop Culture Corner, but it may get a better title later on, where uh, everybody on the podcast just talks about other things they're engaging in right now that might not be movies, and uh, then we'll sign off, and that's our show. So, quick announcements, and then we get to our main topic. Our new features launched this week, March 25th, 2020, we just uh, made our Facebook group, Secret Movie Clubbing, public. So if you're on Facebook, our Facebook handle is at Secret Movie Club 35mm, 35 mm At Secret Movie Club 35mm, just go to our Facebook page and you'll see groups. Join our group; it's public. We do deeper dives in the group. We we go into movies we've shown. We do a lot of interaction with our community. And when we're doing these podcasts, we actually ask our community for their input through that group, so you can join that. And the second new feature is what we're doing right now, which is our podcast, Uh, and we're gonna work to make this a weekly feature of Secret Movie Club from here on in. Lastly, this will be happening in a week or two, but we are finally uh, launching our website. Our designer, uh, Cheeky Design, is working on it as, yes, Daniel has has been asking for that, and we should have had this like a year and a half ago. Uh, But we do own secretmovieclub.com. And uh, we are building it out right now, and the first thing we're gonna launch through that is our movie store. So one of the ways, if you wanna support uh, Secret Movie Club during the time of coronavirus, all of our original posters and T-shirts will be up there for purchase, and we're hoping to get that out within a week or two. Uh, And then probably the most important thing right now that I can announce is Secret Movie Club heretofore has always been about movie screenings and amazing movie theaters and our own 99-seat theater club in the Arts District. Right now, until it's socially responsible to do that, we are not doing that. So um, we just want to let everybody know that all of our March and April 2020 screenings are being rescheduled. We are going to keep our May and June screenings intact for now. So when you go to our Eventbrite site, you just go Eventbrite Secret Movie Club, any of our May and June events, you can buy tickets and we very well may be doing those. Just from all the feedback we're getting from the CDC, it does look like we may be able to do some of those screenings at least in May. But for now, uh, March and April, we are rescheduling entirely. And if we have to continue social distancing, we will reschedule May uh, until we get clearance. But for now, May and June are intact. Know that all of our March and April screenings, we are going to reschedule in our spring season. So we are gonna try to reschedule them in May and June. However, certain screenings at this point may be better for our summer or our fall seasons, and we'll reschedule that. Lastly, if you're randomly listening to this podcast and don't know, uh, we do have a Facebook page and we do have a Twitter and an Instagram account so that our Twitter and Instagram is at secret movie club. Uh, so you can join anywhere there. All right, there we go. So our conversation for today is, uh, your personal top 35 movies. You guys can totally reject that. Uh, Connor, Edwin, uh, Daniel, take it wherever you want. Yeah, go for it. I,
2: I- I was going to say, Craig, I'm looking at your top 35 here and it seems you've listed Big Mama's house 35 times. And I just wanted to ask about that.
0: Connor, are you an American or an Americant? This is America. I can do whatever I want. You know what my next 35 are? Big Mama's house two.
2: What's the subtitle on that one? I don't know. (laughs) Were you going to defend that movie, Edwin? I,
1: w- I would not defend it because I know it's bad, but it's fun for a laugh.
0: No, oh, that's great. Well, and I would just say to everybody, I say this a lot, but, but cinema, I think, is our great democratic art form. And as far as I go, and I'm just speaking personally, uh, you know, and we'll get into some audience comments, if your favorite movie is Big Mama's House, that's great. And you have a reason for it, and I, wa- I want to hear it. But yes, people can go to Facebook and actually see my top 35. I have actually not yet seen Big Mama's House, so I, I can't comment on it. Mm, okay. A lot of people find top tens really annoying. And uh, when you really think about it, it's kind of someone, you know, maybe revealing their OCD mind or their fact that they have to organize everything or that they sort of have, want to impose their taste. So, so a top 35 can be problematic. But the reason I did 35 was I think a top 10 can be very limiting because often there's a lot of overlap but when you get out to at least 35 there's some interesting titles that you have that no one else has so i I don't know i let me throw it to daniel like daniel what what's one on your top 35 that probably would not be on ours
3: oh that's I, see, I think what you're talking about with the list is so interesting because there's like the list of movies that I, I think if I were to like take at a technical level, the best movies would be very different than my list of like my favorites. So I always look at lists as what hit me the most emotionally. Totally. Like they have to click. So um, my favorite that wouldn't make another thing – I don't know. I feel like like my, my favorite movie is Hot Fuzz. Like is that – I feel like that, that didn't make your list. I read your list. So that's sort of something – in my mind, is it hits everything in movie making that I love, but I don't think is universally. I don't know. It's such. It's such a per. A list is such a personal thing, at least how I look at it.
0: Well, yeah. Well, I, go, could, know, so just yeah. well, why is Hot Fuzz for you? Why is that your your like everything movie?
3: I think it just came out. I was 17 when it came out and uh, sort of making decisions about like actively making decisions about college and sort of what the future was going to hold. So I think I sort of associate it not only with that time of my life uh, and how fun, when it hit me, it was like the exact type of thing I needed to sort of creatively as I was trying to make stuff as a teenager. Well,
2: all those, all that whole trilogy of Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg, uh, Nick Frost films. Come on. You're killing me. (laughs) That's right. We can have Um, Batman. That's
0: Connor's dog, Batman. Batman can share uh, his thoughts. He's probably like um, shouting out Jodorowsky right there.
2: What makes those work is that while the movies are funny, they treat the things happening them them seriously. The zombies in Shaun of the Dead are a threat. The things that are happening in Hot Fuzz are real. Same thing with, like, World's End. it
3: takes the tropes of, like, a buddy cop, but also makes it fundamentally about male friendship and sort of the interactions of that and sort of what that means in in that era. And when I was 17, that sort of, you know, I'm preparing to leave all these friendships from high school in my hometown behind. So in a weird way, looking back at it now, I'm like, oh, that was important to me because those friendships... Were in mm. to me then are important to me now, and it's sort of about how you keep a bond, changing locations, having to meet new people as you're, like, going on to college. So it's kind of hit. It was literally just dropped in at the perfect moment. And every time I revisit it, I find something new, whether it's nostalgic or something new on like, a technical level that that works with me.
2: I have kind of a similar thing, but a more perverse version with with my favorite movie, The Evil Dead. Because a lot of, for a lot of people, when they watch that movie, especially when you're, like, 18, 19, you show them that movie, and they've seen horror movies like, you know. The rank American I mean, stuff version. that's a little more tame right. and not you know PG-13 people getting more stabbed in their heels with pencils and stuff and um <laughs> uh that sort of litmus test of watching people be like
0: oh no that's funny so was there is there an element of showing movies to people so you can watch how they react that, that is a thing for you
2: Oh yeah, big time. I mean, it backfired me on, on it once. I, I've told this story about when I showed my friend audition, and they basically had a breakdown at the end of that film, and I felt like sh-. it was it was really bad. I I, I felt horrible. What was your um, thinking
0: going into it? What was my thought process? Going yeah, going into to it? like because auditions a pretty that's a pretty intense film.
2: I mean, they've seen other intense stuff. I don't know if they they'd seen anything that kind of. Um, I, I guess I, I, it was just a miscalculation, I guess. Uh, I mean, it was just it was just someone, someone – it was like a really close friend of mine who I know is very open to films, even if they don't like those films. And I just wanted to see because they didn't know anything about it.
0: You know, it's funny. I read somewhere um, that – I don't know where I read this. Maybe he can write in and tell us, but that Eli Roth used to like to show Girlfriends a Serbian film, which, by the way, I've never seen. Um, but I know, yeah, but I know from its reputation that a Serbian film has scenes that are almost unwatchable. And that's sort of the reason people watch it, including just, you know, it's, I think it's all staged. It's, It's not like you're seeing anything real, but the implications of what you're seeing are almost like unfathomable, unwatchable. And when I heard that, that did sort of make me realize something about my reaction to cinema, which is I love... I love movies uh, the that do anything and I'll watch anything if it has artistic merit but I don't think I would show somebody something as a litmus test of like if you don't watch this then we're done or like if 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 I show you this and you can't get through it, I'm judging something about you like that I'm and Mr. Roth, if you ever want to write in or or tell us your thought process on that I'm totally not judging but I just a Serbian film sounds like a pretty hardcore way of jumping someone into you. <laughs>
1: seen a serbian film and let me tell you that's that's a movie i'm never ever watching again
0: oh there you go so you may be the only one of us who saw it so edwin it's like crazy right
1: it's the most disturbing movie i've ever seen in a movie i mean i've seen sailor i've seen Holocaust, i've seen some pretty messed up movies but i think this is the one movie that really hit me hard saying why would you do this like why would you do that? Like, there's some like some hardcore scenes in that movie that really got me like, what is wrong with you? Why would you put this in a movie?
0: So there you go. It's it's. I think. But for some people, that's what they love about movies is they love that movies do scenes that you shouldn't do. And maybe that's Eli Roth's thing. I, I don't know.
2: I should be, I should clarify. I don't show people as a litmus test. Like, if you can't handle this, I'm done. It's more of an experiment. As if I'm a scientist.
0: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay, thanks for the clarification. (laughs) Yeah. So let's go uh, to our first audience participation. The first comment that actually got going a whole thing was Laura Bamberg uh, wrote this. I'm fascinated by the idea of a top 35 personal movie list. What exactly does personal mean though? I have so many different reasons for liking films and separate out my favorite films into different buckets. For example, I rewatch Bill and Ted's excellent adventure pretty regularly and I love it, but it goes in a completely different bucket than my top films. So I kind of wonder what criteria people will use. And I think that's like a totally valid point uh, which is why I called it my personal top 35. The, these are just the ones that resonate the most with me. But I think if your favorite movie is Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, that's great. What do you think about what Laura said? Any ideas? Like, should we just separate out movies into different buckets?
3: It's, well, it's tough, because I think you don't... The, the list is such a, a personal thing, and there's people... I, I have friends who cannot do a list. Like, it is, it is anxiety-inducing the concept of having to list things. And I get that, because... You're sort of, especially if you're publishing it to social media, because it becomes this sort of staple of like, at this moment in time, here's everything that I thought, but a day later, it's different for me. Like I, I make, you know, a top 10 of the year, or I, I did like a top 100 of the decade. And the second I posted it, I was like, oh, I forgot this. And that would have been this spot.
0: Totally. And the, totally. And Edwin, I just realized, uh, what's a movie yeah. on your top 35 list? Hit us.
1: Under Heaven's Gate, which is better than any other movie that's ever been made in the history of cinema. So take that. That sounds like the one uh, we should talk about then.
0: Yeah, why is Heaven's Gate better than any other movie made in the history of cinema, Edwin? Well, when I first
1: saw it, when I heard about it, I I like, I knew I wanted to watch this movie. I was desperately, finally, until I found it in Amoeba, I took it home, I watched it, and like, holy crap, this is the most greatest thing I've ever seen. Even though it's got a bad reputation, uh, Michael Cimino was insane. He fired <laughs> Willem Dafoe. He blew up horses. He filmed a live uh, chicken fight, and it has some of the most beautiful cinematography shots in all of cinema, and probably one of the best scores ever written for a movie. This is like,
0: who is the composer? Who is the composer on *Heaven's Gate*? David
1: Manfield.
0: And you just dropped a trivia bomb that I'm fascinated by. Who is uh, Willem Dafoe going to be in that movie?
1: He was. He was supposed to have like a like a like a like a story. I guess Michael Chimino did not like him, so he completely cut him from the movie. But he's still in the movie. He has like like, like two or three lines, but he got completely cut out of it for some reason. I don't know why.
0: But that's great. I I, I just want to. The a is too big. What?
2: <laughs> Willem Dafoe has a famously large hog. Sorry, back to this. Is that true? <laughs> yeah.
0: We're, we're getting all sorts of movies. I didn't know that. Thank you, Connor. That's movie trivia. I, I did not know. I want to say something. If I could say something about Edwin, Edwin, I just want to shout you out. Edwin, every yeah. single day we do a screening basically tries to coerce me, blackmail me, or cajole me into showing Heaven's Gate at either the Vista, although now you kind of try to force me to do it at the Movie Palace at the Million Dollar Theater. And I respect that passion. If you take a back... Bite- it's
1: an epic film. It's one of the great epics of all time. It needs to be shown on a big screen with a big audience, and it needs to show its insanity on a big screen. Because how beautiful that movie is.
0: But I've said this a lot, Edwin. I actually really admire Heaven's Gate. I agree with you. I think it is, it is a really good movie. I just don't think it's a great
2: movie. It is a great movie.
1: It's one of the greatest ever made in the cinematic history of motion picture.
0: Okay, well, there you go. One movie that uh, I wrote about, and I know a lot of people love this movie, uh, but a lot of people also I feel haven't heard about it is uh, Salvatore Giuliano, which is an Italian film from 1962. And one of the things about that for me was that I didn't see that movie until a few years ago. And I, had, I think I had read that uh, Coppola was influenced when he did Godfather Two, and Scorsese, that's on his top 12. And uh, so finally I was like, well, you know, let me watch it. And, I, and I, let me throw this back to you guys. I, I want to know if any of you have had this experience. So I, I, it was like a movie I didn't see, I didn't see, I didn't see. Finally I saw it, and I sat there in a state of like awe where it resonated with me. Like, uh, Daniel, you were talking about Hot Fuzz. I saw Salvatore Giuliano, and the the thing about the movie is it's about a uh, mafioso criminal in Sicily uh, after World War II, but you, Salvatore Giuliano, a real guy, but you almost never see him. You see him in silhouette in one scene, and you see him dead in another, and you see him as a corpse. But the entire film is actually all the ways he affected Italian life and pop culture and Sicily. And so you actually get a sense of him through all these different scenes of different people. And I would never seen a movie done that way, but it's shot in this incredible black and white and it keeps jumping different times and it's very nonlinear. I had just never seen a movie made or constructed that way. And that for me, I was like, uh, you know, it it basically gave me ideas for the form that I may want to do in future movies. So that's why that's on my top thirty-five. Is it something that I watch every year? It's not. But is it something that I think about constantly? It totally is. So I guess I want to throw out to you guys: Do you guys have any movies that that are on your list or whatever that you saw and you were like, that That's how I want to. I mean, make honestly,
2: movies? just to because I didn't really talk about it earlier. Is um, I mean, my favorite film is The Evil Dead. There's just so much weird little ingenuity in that film. Um, I I know so much about like the behind the scenes, which apparently it was like a living nightmare shooting that movie. Um, It was just like awful conditions exacerbated by you know, Sam Raimi and Rob Tappert kind of messing around more than they should to the point that there's a couple of things that if they had gone slightly differently, we would know Sam Raimi is a criminal and not a filmmaker. Like what? Which which, (laughs) um, there's like a part where he almost cuts his um girlfriend, you know, up like cuts her body up and then he decides with the the chainsaw. And he just literally has a chainsaw revving up like an inch or two away from her stomach. If he had goofed up, he would have just sawed right into her. How old were Um, they
0: when they made that? But they were like all in their early 20s, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Early 20s. That sounds like early 20s filmmaking. there's some other stuff too, like the contact lenses were these big glass contact lenses and you're supposed to have them in for like 10 minutes, but they keep them in for hours. And the way they achieved like the, the, the arms flopping on the floor is they dug a hole underneath the cabin and they had different people sticking their arms up through the like the bottom of the floorboard but they would have to keep them there for like hours and people started having like panic attacks while they were there. Just a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff. But that stuff aside, if you look at like what they were able to achieve, you know, every shot in that movie is specific. There's like there's no coverage in that film. Coverage is like a term in in filmmaking. If people don't know, which is where you just shoot a bunch of different uh, areas to make sure you can edit it together. Evil Dead is a movie that is composed of its 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 each shot is. I mean, I'm sure there's some coverage, but for the most part, each shot is designed to tell that moment in the story.
0: I it's love a, I love that kind of yeah. filmmaking.
2: So, yeah, that that's super important. I think as a director, that's like one of your main jobs.
0: It's funny, what, it's funny what you're saying because I feel the like uh, intense shoot movies that turn out good, part of what yeah. makes them great is you can feel how intense that shoot must have been because you see yeah. things you just don't see in 99.9% of movies. And you're like, how did they – like I always think in Evil Dead, at the very end, all the stop motion stuff. I'm like, mm-hmm. wait, I thought this was a low-budget movie. This is like three minutes of full-on stop-motion animation of body decay. How the F did they do this?
3: If I'm going to make something, I tend to go back and I watch uh, Richard Linklater's Before Trilogy, especially Before Sunset, just kind of the spectrum of—
0: Oh, that's interesting. Why bef- why Before Sunset?
3: I, I Because it's it's a 90-minute film that is or an 80-minute film that's basically— it's, supposed to, it's a single conversation. It's like a filmmaking feat that shouldn't work. It should be the worst thing. It's just two people talking as they walk around Paris and like catching up. Like that's what you do with your buds. And instead, it's this incredible, beautiful, moving, bittersweet, heartbreaking drama.
0: It may actually be. I've never really thought about this because I love all three movies and I love Link Later and I love that trilogy specifically. But I think Before Sunset may actually be the best one of the three.
3: I think so in my, in my opinion. But I also want, I mean, it depends on my mood. Sometimes I want to feel the hope of before sunrise. Sometimes I want to feel the, I don't know, the optimism and like the, will they, won't they before sunset. Sometimes I want to feel like before midnight.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's a movie you watch Edwin, when, when you're going to make a movie? Um,
3: there's,
1: there's two. One is midnight in Paris and the other is the mummy, the 1999 movie, which I hold dearly in my heart. Cause the, Technically, it was one of the first action movies I've ever seen. And I loved it, even though I'd never seen the original with Boris Karloff, which I should be ashamed of myself for saying that.
0: No, you shouldn't.
1: (laughs) Well, that's the first movie I saw, and I fell in love with it. Like, wow, this this is so badass, because Brendan Fraser is basically the swashbuckle, all-American dude. Like, it has got to save the girl and save the world, kill the bad guy, you know, stuff like that. And Midnight Paris is one of them, because here's a guy who just goes out of Paris... With his fiance, who is a total uh, B, because I hate her so much, um, he just wanders off and ends up tra- traveling back to the good old days of Paris. And that's why that's why I like about that movie is just um just see how beautifully well shot it is and how great it captured the whole city of Paris. Like, wow, this is this is a fun movie. This this is so beautiful. I Like. I wish more movies can be like that, like what Woody Allen Woody Allen did. You know. Yeah, was, uh, well,
0: and the thing with Midnight in yeah. Paris, I actually think Midnight in Paris is one of Allen's probably last great ones because it's it's such yeah, it's such a, it's such a yeah such a great story, like such a great hook. I thought about. I often think about. Man, I'd love to go back to this era, almost like hide out in this era because my present. Exactly. Yeah, and and he somehow captured that. It was just a dynamite idea to start with.
1: What a fantastic movie. It's probably one of the greatest movies
0: of all time. Where would you rank it? Above or below Heaven's Gate?
1: I'm not doing that, man.
0: Um you have to make a choice. <laughs> all right. The, okay. The future of the world is in your hands, and you have you, you can only pick one of them. One of them will be erased from the imagination. <sighs>
1: Heaven's Gate. Heaven's
0: Gate. All right, there you go. All right. Thank you, Edwin. You you could have rejected my frame entirely, but I appreciate that you someone brought up and I thought this one I want to give a shout out to. Uh and we just posted about it today actually because now we've moved on to so crazy they're genius movies that we're posting. But someone says, this is Aaron Light. Aaron Light says, don't have a list, but I know bad lieutenant would be number one. And uh I don't know if you guys have seen Bad Lieutenant. We're talking about the Harvey Keitel, Abel Ferrara, Bad Lieutenant, not the the Herzog Cage, Bad Lieutenant. But there's something about that, too, that I think about. And I want to throw it out to you. Like when you talk to people who aren't movie makers... I really love that conversation because the movies they throw out are just like genuine, this is what I love. Uh, and it's not because it's been canonized or I want to show you that I love Kurosawa or I'm a movie maker, so I watch David Lean or or I'm a critic, so I love this because it kind of hits all the the things I want to say about a worldview. Like Bad Lieutenant, that's, that's a pretty, some people are going to love that movie. Some people are going to hate that movie. But I, I feel like Aaron's just being, Aaron is just telling us what he loves. So I I guess what I want to ask you guys is, do you ever, have you ever talked to people and they've been like, this is my favorite movie. And you almost like wanted you, you, you couldn't believe that was their favorite movie, but then you thought about it and it was sort of enlightening to you. Has that ever happened with people who aren't movie makers? That has
1: happened to me the most. One was Mulholland drive. I watched it. I hated it. I hated every single minute of it until my friend Evan convinced me to watch it again and i saw it again knowing what i was going for when i was expecting like oh my god i was blind this is amazing this is a masterpiece i'm not making any sense and it's a great movie and i I completely love it
0: what do you think edwin accounted for you seeing it with new eyes why were you blind and then you could see on the second viewing on that one
1: one the first time i saw it was in a truck with, uh, you know, those cars that have TVs uh, in it. And I, oh, of course, I I had that, and I brought Mulholland Drive with me. I'd never seen it. I brought it with me because I was getting a chance to watch it. So maybe because I was driving, I was driving with my dad so much, I couldn't understand what was going on. And like, okay, this movie just sucks and boring.
0: You watched Mulholland Drive in a hmm? truck with your dad?
1: Yeah, we were just driving along like, the, uh, on the coast to, like Until we hit Santa Monica I, I, I didn't like it cause, Maybe because I was doing that
0: uh, What about you guys Have you ever Like someone you care about Or you try Like whatever They're just like Hey I love this movie And you want to be like What But then you think about it And it sort of helped you Think about movies In a different way
3: I think we've talked about this, Craig. For me, as a when I was younger, it was the Big Lebowski. People talked about it a ton, and then some some older friends talked about it, and then I watched it, and I was like, this movie's not funny. Like, what is this movie about? And then I just kept thinking about it, and I'd hear them talk about it and quote it, and I'm like, what am I missing? And then you, I returned to it with them and just their energy into it, and then suddenly I was like, oh, actually, this is pretty great. And then every time it sort of grows and grows and grows, and I'm like, oh no, it's it's like probably a masterpiece. And I don't really know why that happens, but in terms of something that someone told me that I didn't believe and didn't understand and sort of shifted, I can't think of one that someone told me that just sort of stopped me in my tracks there that I'd already seen where I was like, oh, that's, that's the one.
2: See, I think, I think I'm kind of like the opposite where when I hear somebody say something wild is their favorite movie, I immediately am just like, yeah, that makes sense. When, when someone says something like the Godfather is their favorite movie, I'm like, okay, like, (laughs) sure. Like you and you and you and you and you and you and a thousand other people. And I'm not even dissing Godfather. I'm just saying it's it's you know I, I if somebody says like steal the Shack movie is their favorite movie why would I doubt that That is such a wild thing to say.
0: Oh, that's Especially great. If they like if they have like a
3: passionate speech behind the why, I get excited mm-hmm. about it and I'm like, oh, I need yeah. to revisit that.
0: No, totally. I I think you've hit on something, Connor, because it's it's authenticity. I think, mm-hmm. I think sometimes when you're in our community as a movie maker, and, and I want to I don't want to get into the whole thing, but there can be other motives for saying why your favorite movie is your favorite movie. But if someone says steel, you you have to be <laughs> like, that's just pure like genuineness. And who doesn't like pure genuineness? And I don't know if you mean this, Connor. I guess I throw it to you. When somebody gives me an out-of-left field thing like that and they're like, you have to see it, I'm actually very inclined to see it right away. Cause I'm like, I never would have thought to see steel. So uh, yeah. I'll, I'll go see it. Why not? Cause I never would have done it unless you recommended it. That happened um, with Casey, actually well, let's shout out Casey. Cause we brought it up. So when Casey young first started uh, working on the secret movie club team, I think within two weeks or three weeks of him working at the table, he was like, I was like, Casey, what's your favorite movie? And he's like, game night. And I'm like, what, uh, you mean oh, yeah. the, the Jason Bateman movie game night? And he was like, Oh yeah, it's the greatest movie ever made. I'm like, <laughs> so there you go. So, Edwin, so I was like, uh okay. And then uh Casey came a week later with the DVD and he was like, here's game night. And I was like, you know what? F it. I'm gonna watch it. I'm not gonna j-. like I to me, game night felt and looked like you know, probably a really fun comedy, but but something you just kind of watch and veg out to and and I, I I don't know, it wasn't really on my radar. And then Casey was so passionate about it and it so challenged my whatever. I was like, No. I'm going to watch Game Night because I'm going to watch if people are passionate about Game Night. And so my wife and I, Marta and I, watch Game Night. And I was like, this is really well shot and really funny. And Jesse Plemons yet again is the bomb. And it made me love the Plemons. And I was like, the Plemons needs to have his own award because he's always dope. And I came back and I told Casey, I was like, thank you, Casey. Thank you.
2: He's the most, most terrifying villain on Breaking
0: Bad which I've never seen. I gotta see, I've, I've never seen Breaking Bad. I gotta see Breaking Bad. Also the Plemons is in one of the great Black Mirror episodes. I saw the uh, SS oh, yeah. McAllister, and the Plemons kills it in that one too.
2: An Observe and Report.
0: Oh yeah, is Plem- is the Plemons an Observe and Report?
2: Yeah, he's, he's, I think that was the first thing I ever saw him in. He's like a guy who's not a security guard. who kind of like is like kind of being nice to Seth Rogen and starts, so starts, he starts hanging out with him and like training to be a security guard under him. But he obviously is like, kind of like, eh, like kind of doesn't really care.
0: Farouk Malik uh, actually just posted this a few hours ago, but he he posted a top 10. And the thing I love in his top 10 is the final two, I believe, are Bollywood movies. So he posted uh, La May and I've seen number 10, Gabi Gushi, Gabi Gong. I guess I want to throw out to you guys. Another thing when we talk about our movie lists is sometimes we don't. You know, And I think this is just natural to human nature, realize that our favorite movies are just a bit of a consequence of the culture we came up in and the movies that were available to us, but they're very well maybe movies that we would be like, oh my God, this is on my top 10, Uh, but we've just never seen them. Like a lot of people don't invest the four hours into Bollywood movies. And it took my wife, uh, Martha, who's a Salvadorian, to introduce me to the Cine de Oro movies, the great movies from Mexico of the 40s and 50s, and now I'm obsessed with them, but I, I may have never gone to them if uh, I wasn't trying to get better at my Spanish and my wife said, you know, the best way to do that is to watch movies without the subtitles. And so I did that and I was like, these movies are incredible. Um, so I'm just wondering, have you guys ever been introduced to a movie from just a different cinema around the world that just somebody happened to know about that you had never heard about and it blew your mind?
2: I don't necessarily know introducing. I mean, I, I, I will be honest. I'm looking at my list and for the most part, it's, it's, it's a lot of, you know, American or English films, but, um... If I were to, I don't have a top 35, I have a top 20 is what I have. And if I expanded it, probably Audition would be on there. And nobody introduced me to that film. But um, yeah, I don't know. That's that's tough because because it really just just counts on your exposure. Because I'm sure that's kind of the the, the inverse in other countries too, to a certain degree. Um, Though obviously the Hollywood system is so far-reaching.
0: But that's great what you just said, because you actually talked about a certain type of movie experience we haven't talked about. Did you just, like, choose audition, or had you heard it was good, or how did you stumble upon that?
2: I just, I mean, I've just been, you know, ever since I was, even when I was a kid and I hated horror movies, I still kind of love them. I was, like, enticed by them, and so growing up, I sort of gained all this knowledge, and whenever I was in, in high school, I started really getting into horror film. I I would just read about movies. I would just like go on Wikipedia and like read what happens in the movie. And that was one of those infamous movies because of obvious reasons. If you've seen Audition and if you haven't seen Audition and you should watch it without knowing what's in it. However... You might not want to watch it because of what's in it, but you can't. It's a, it's like a contradiction. Just turn it off if it starts freaking you out. Well, I think um, you, I think you
0: could you we, you could probably do. Do you want to set it up like we we could do a spoiler free setup? So it's Japanese, directed by yes. a, a director I am obsessed with Takashi Miike, and would would it be fair to say that the reason you're caveating it the way you are is because there is some intense scenes. That might be off-putting there, to folks.
2: Yeah, there's some intense scenes of of, of a graphic nature. Yes, um, especially towards the the end of the film. Um, but the the trick the film plays is that it kind of it, it it doesn't it doesn't let you in on that until that there's going to be anything like that uh, until well into it. This isn't a standard you know horror thriller type thing that sort of comes out and has like an opening like spooky scene or whatever yeah, yeah um it's it's not really traditional in any way it's almost like a rom-com for the first half
0: totally when we re-screened it uh because i had seen it before and then we did it as a secret movie club screening i had forgotten how long it actually takes to get going in terms mm-hmm. of what it's going to become and and like you said i think that's one of its strengths because for a yeah. while you're like oh <laughs> this yeah kind of cute
2: yeah well it, it, yeah, it, it almost works as a rom com in its first half. It's 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 a little weird what like the scheme they're doing. The the setup yeah. for the movie is that this widower who works in like a film advertising, uh, type industry. Um, his friend sets up a uh, audition where he can sit in and pick out of the the women that are auditioning, a woman he can go after, and that's kind of the first half of the movie. Yeah, that part, it almost, there's like a montage where they're doing the auditions. And it's kind of like a fun little, like, montage. Like, all the girls are coming in and they're asking questions and stuff. and.
0: But from it, you know, from it, just from a, not to nerd out too much, but from a, like, a screenwriting point of view, I actually think, for me, one of the geniuses of the movie is there is a little something in you where you're like, this doesn't quite feel right what he's doing. Yeah. You're like, mm-hmm. the fact that he's sort of using his position of power to audition a girlfriend or a wife Mm -hmm. doesn't quite feel right because he's not being honest with the women. And I feel that that seed that gets planted in the first half sprouts into something nutty in the second half in a great way.
2: But you could, you could see a Hollywood version of that first half concept where they kind of at the end just go like, Oh, I'm sorry. And then (laughs) it's fine. They just apologize for doing it, you know? Um, And and it's like, well, you know, I met you, my true love, and so now we will be together.
0: Yeah, the Hollywood version would be, she would find out at the midpoint, and it Mm -hmm. would be over, but the irony would be they were meant to be together, and then he would have to, like, earn her back in the second half. Exactly. Suffice it to say, that is not what happens And (laughs) Takashi is audition.
3: (laughs) No. Yeah, when I was a teenager, I was a big video gamer, and I played this... MMO, I played Star Wars Galaxies and World of Warcraft and I played with this group of it was like a clan, a guild. And one of the guys was from South Korea and we would talk about movies and stuff and he was a little bit older than me and he was he was talking about how he's like, Yeah, there's this movie that came out Uh, two years ago in South Korea called Old Boy, and it was like, it's this crazy blah, 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 and kind of went on about it, trying to not share why it was considered so crazy. So I got a copy of it, but that sort of turned me on to South Korean cinema. So I was like 15, maybe, and just that was like a a ride. After that, he was like, well, I'll send you, I'll email you these other things that we really like, and half of them had never had translations for American English subtitles, so it was just like this. I felt like I had discovered something. So then I funneled that to show up, make all my friends watch, because then it was then it was the thing I had shown. Again, egotistical. You're like, look at this thing I found. And why do now you guys, I'm why do you, you frame
0: it like that? That feels like your Midwestern humility coming out. Everyone should know that you are. <laughs> you're from Oklahoma, and uh, the the I mean, why is sharing cinema with other people? What why would you look at that? I mean, I, no, I get what you're saying, it's, but it's
3: not the sharing. It's that internal part where you're like, I I gave you this. <laughs> This is from me. Like it's a gift, as if you had anything to do with it. But I feel that way. <laughs> yeah, I'm not super familiar with like Bollywood movies. And it's the same type of thing where you said where it was the length that initially like kind of turned me off to it. But then you watch one and you're like, wow, what have I? Why have I been missing this?
0: Oh no, the dude. Uh-huh. The the so my Bollywood story is I have a, a family of friends. The the Grests and their mom is from India. She's Sikh, and then uh, I think she's Sikh or Punjabi. And then um, the dad was American. But anyway, the mom and her family would always just have like all these Bollywood DVDs around. So in my 20s, when I was not married, did not have kids, and like you could literally put on a movie at midnight with your friends and be like, yeah, sure. Uh, I was at my friend's apartment on Alvarado, I remember, just south of the 101, uh, Steve and Chris Crest, and they had this stack of DVDs, and they had one called Koi Gaia, which I still have a real soft spot because it was probably my first Bollywood movie, and it was literally made maybe 10, 15 years ago, and it starts as Close Encounters, it then becomes Forrest Gump. It, it then becomes E.T. It then becomes Jurassic Park. It has all these Bollywood things. It was like clearly trying to be the greatest blockbuster of all time. And it was directed by the dad who, whose name I think is um, Rakesh Roshan. And, and if I'm messing this up, I apologize, Bollywood movie lovers, Hindi cinema uh, movie lovers. And then the son is the star, Hrithik Roshan. And if you've never seen a Bollywood movie, often the structure is that the first hour and a half doesn't really kick in the plot. It's like a prologue is the first hour. And you're, and so in the first hour and a half of Coy Mill Gaia, they're just off in like some summer resort. And the movie was clearly sponsored by Coke because there are Coke machines everywhere. And then they're like three amazing musical numbers. And it was just pure joy. And I was just sitting with my buddies and I was like, when did the aliens come, man? Like we, we got a little alien <laughs> prologue. You knew the aliens were coming, but it was just like, and then it cuts. Suddenly there's this uh, guy who's an adult and and he he sort of has autism or something, and his his group of friends are kids, and then suddenly Jadu, which I think translates as pure magic, lands, and Jadu is an alien, and then they've got to hide Jadu, but Jadu has powers, and then they have a basketball game where they can all, like, jump really high, and then there's musical numbers, and then there's a bully, and then suddenly Jadu cures the guy of his autism, and I was like, what just happened? And suddenly he becomes a stud, and he has a romantic relationship, and then the government kidnaps Jadu, and it becomes Jurassic Park or something, and the Terminator and I was like I had never seen a movie that was so willing to make tonal chefs like that just that I was like what is going on and then Jadu is like a dude in a costume and then I just had to show everybody this musical number from Koi Gaia where Jadu fully creeps up on the guy's girlfriend has his hands on her knees and the kids are all singing and they CGI clouds so that was like a mind blower to me then I realized there were other Bollywood movies that are like legitimately amazing in every way. But anyway, that was that was just <laughs> like that was a mind blower to me. Coimil guy, y'all. Edwin, how about you?
1: Mine is uh, Man Bites Dog, actually. That was I think the first war movie I- I've ever saw. And it's probably one of the most best violent movies ever out of France. It's probably one of my favorite movies I've ever seen. And I'm glad I saw it and I introduced it to my friend Evan who Hated it. And I tell him, you know what? I don't care. You saw it. And you watched it. So boom, my job is done. I, I didn't need someone to watch that movie, but it's purely, purely back. <laughs> insane, it's this. There's, there's so many little details I I go on about. It's a fun movie. Whoever have never seen man
0: bites dog, you have to go out, watch it. But and be, I, but be prepared, okay. right? It's violent. It's, it's like be
1: prepared. It's violent.
0: Can I compliment you? Yes. Okay. We told Edwin at the beginning of this podcast that he had to really curb his swearing, because Edwin, when he gets passionate. And Edwin, you have done an amazing job. I'd Like, amazing.
2: I think I've sweared more than him <laughs> so
0: <laughs> far. I, I, I had my doubts, Edwin, that you were going to follow that directive. And you have totally proven me wrong in the best possible way. I want to thank you.
1: I just slipped out because I just I, I, that's the only way I can describe that movie.
0: No, that's good. One, one bad crazy is fine. We can figure that one out. It's just, if it was every other. Anyway, Edwin, you did a great job. Secret Movie Clubbers, if any of you guys feel like there were aspects of this personal top 35 that we didn't cover or might be interesting... We just want to encourage you, if you're on Facebook, join our Facebook group, and you can uh, add your notes. We read them. Right now, we will be changing this email, but you could also just email us, uh, and our email is secretmovieclub@curiousproductions.com. But we'd love to hear your thoughts or if there are things that we didn't even get to, and we'll, uh, we'll find ways to post them. I mean, this is a conversation, and it's a group project, so please do. Going to what I'm calling the Pop Culture Corner. I'm sure there's a better title for it. Secret Movie Club team, uh, what are some things that you guys are watching or engaging in uh, pop culture-wise that you want to share with the audience that might help them through this time of coronavirus or just straight up awesome?
2: Well, I, I, th- I think both me and Daniel can talk about Animal Crossing.
3: Oh my, it's all I'm doing. Animal Crossing New Horizons.
2: It's its a lot of fun. Animal Crossing is a video game game Franchise and New Horizons is a new entry for the Nintendo Switch. It is just the sort of chillest, most relaxing game. If you've ever heard of The Sims, you've ever heard of Farming Sims, take those two games, take like 90% of the game out of them. And the, what's left, if you put those together, that's what Animal Crossing is.
0: What is it? What do you do?
2: You just kind of have a house and you decorate it and you wear clothes. <laughs> and um,
3: It's so hard to explain... It did not sound like the worst thing. It's like a it's like a life simulator. You move to this island and you build a tent and people move in with you, not in your house, but on the island. And you sort of just it, it operates in real time. So every day you can catch fish and bugs, and you can build a museum and you get stores that open and you can start to design stuff and customize your house as like this lovely little experience.
0: And it's a yeah. it's a Nintendo Switch game.
3: Yeah, just it's, watch a video. It's 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 the most just chill vibe, it's, it's it's lovely. And you can play with friends so you can come visit my island, I can go visit Connor's island.
2: Yeah, I, we need to do that, I, I my island is my island is named Heck.
3: Oh, mine's Sanford, <laughs> and I have oranges.
0: Oh, I have oranges also,
2: so.
3: Oh crap, I think I have all the other <laughs> too. We'll talk about this off.
0: <laughs> Edwin, what about you? What are you engaging in pop culture-wise?
1: I'm learning how to cook mac and cheese. Did it a couple times already. <laughs> It sucks. I don't make it good as I thought, but I, I give it my shot. But one thing I don't do is I don't put it in a bowl. I just take the pot with me and I just go to my room and watch a movie. That's less
3: dishes. That's a smart play.
0: Uh, for me, pop culture wise, and then we'll go to the outro. You know something is one of a, a secret movie clubber who uh, has come to a number of our screenings, uh, Todd, gave me two DVDs like a year and a half ago. One of them was The Hidden. And I watched that almost right away, a movie from the 80s about alien body snatchers. Uh, and the other one was the 1989 animated Little Nemo Adventures in Slumberland. And it has been on my desk for a year and a half. And when I offered to give it back to Todd like six months ago, or maybe no, like two months ago, Todd was like, no, keep it until you watch it. So I watched Little Nemo, Adventures in Slumberland, and for everybody who has or hasn't seen it, it's based on these uh, animated cartoons from the 8th, 19th century by Windsor McKay in the early 20th century, where a little boy will fall asleep and go to like a dreamland. And uh, the movie, the story was conceived by Ray Bradbury, which I didn't realize till I saw it. And it actually, the structure of the movie is like a dream. And so it basically is the little boy, Nemo gets into his bed, goes to bed. It's like Finnegan's Wake by James choice but for kids and then he'll he'll have this dream and this adventure and then he'll wake up but then he'll kind of still be in the dream, but it does it really cleverly. I definitely can see why the movie was not a big hit. I think there's some things in the story where maybe they ran out of money, or there were a lot of cooks in the kitchen, but I do have to recommend to people, for people who are structure people, who want to see a, like, learn a new storytelling structure, and for people who are really active, vivid dreamers, which I am, like, I dream every night, and I do go to a place. It's the same place. It's my dream world. I go every night to this Dreamworld, it was kind of like an amazing movie and an amazing structure, and so I want to thank Todd. Todd, I did watch Little Nemo Adventures in Slumberland, and I took some notes. I took some notes. There we go. So guys, uh, before I make my, our final announcements, uh, it, anything you want to say, final thoughts? I leave it to any of you. Uh, actually, I, I have something to say. This
1: is something off topic. I, I just want the people to know that if you watch Saving Mr. Banks, it's a terrible movie. Don't not watch it. Uh, Emma Thompson's character is a horrible character, constant flashbacks that we did not need it. The only decent character in that movie is Tom Hanks, who plays Walt Disney. That's the only decent character in that movie. Emma Thompson's character is a horrible, horrible, horrible
3: human being. There, I have spoken. Thank
0: you. Okay, Edwin. Uh, Anybody else final (laughs) thoughts?
3: Uh, I, I did make a little list of, of stuff to do while while we're quarantined. Um, Shudder, the horror streaming service, is giving away 30 days of free streaming. Criterion Channel, which if you can only do one streaming thing, get that, has a 14-day free trial. Skillshare, which is kind of like Masterclass, but with people it's just like a thousand different how-to videos and different things trying to pick up some stuff on they have a two-month free trial and then canopy which is the library streaming service which is free movies audiobooks and ebooks which if you have a library card you have access to is completely free it has an insane collection has all of a24's films a ton of criterion films and it is completely free
0: connor final thoughts
3: you know, coronavirus
2: has really come on the scene in a big way, and um, <laughs> uh, I don't yeah, I don't know. Um, are can we plug things of our own? Yeah, sure, of course. Uh, I I stream a lot on uh on Twitch uh, Twitch.tv slash Connor Cruz. Uh, that's C O N N O R C R E W S, and uh, I stream a little bit every day. I've been streaming Batman Arkham City, I'm trying to do all the challenges on that lately. So.
0: There you go. That. And
3: uh, I also I have a podcast as well. It's Talking Tom, a Pod Hanks Tomcast. And coincidentally, my next episode is Saving Mister Banks, so I do have to watch that this week. Uh,
1: and uh, now uh, it's, it's a horrible, horrible movie.
3: It's the next one chronologically. I don't really have a choice. You do have a choice. Everyone uh, really have
0: choices. And Daniel, can you give us uh, your podcast uh, website where people should go one more time?
3: Yeah, it's it's talkingtom.com, but there's no G in talking, or it's podhankstomcast.com, <laughs> and we're, we're all over the internet. We're on Spotify, and I, wherever you get podcasts, I don't freaking know anymore.
0: So there you go. So uh, guys, I, I'll just wrap up um, with this outro. Uh, first off, Secret Movie Clubbers who listen to our first podcast, thank you. You made it. We're very grateful. Uh, We do want to hear your thoughts on how we can make this better, what you think it could be. As I was discussing with the team, you know, just like Secret Movie Club itself, we may have interviews with filmmakers on here. This can be anything. We may have you on here. We may, you know, have different segments. Uh, So we'd love to hear. Uh, Guys, just to cue it up so you know what to prep for for next week, our next uh, podcast is going to be the, like, So Crazy It's Genius movies, which that's what I called it. Maybe by next week I'll think of a better one. But just sort of like nutty movies that may not be like exactly Kurosawa or David Lean or whatever, whoever, Scorsese, but they're like, you got to show them to people and they're very nutritious and they blow you away. So we'll be just talking about some of the craziest movies we've ever seen that turn into genius. And I want to make a distinction. It's not so bad it's good, although if you want to take it there, that's up to you. You can always blow up the frame. It's not so bad it's good. It's like so crazy it becomes genius, which I think is something different. That'll be our next podcast. Um, So talk
2: about something else besides audition.
0: (laughs) you, You could talk about audition again. That that fits both. <laughs> we just want to let our Secret Movie Clubbers know every Monday we're striving to announce our new features. So this week you found out about our Facebook group. Uh, and if you want to join that, which is where we do a lot of our deep dives and interaction, just go to at Secret Movie Club 35MM. That's our Facebook page. And then just go to groups and join. And we also, the podcast was our new feature. Next week on Monday, we will be announcing one or two more new features. So just check in on Monday anywhere and uh, you'll find out. Uh, so to wrap up, I'm looking at uh, our Skype screen. Connor has Batman, his amazing Corgi in his hands. Daniel is multitasking, as I'm sure he, he often is. I don't. Edwin is drinking a huge Coca-Cola because he turned back on the camera. Uh, and uh, yeah. so there you go. Guys, you killed it today. Thank you so much for doing this. I'm so grateful to have Secret Movie Club and have you guys as a team. And, uh, and hopefully this comes out well and we'll do our next one next week. Everybody, take care. Talk to you soon okay take care everybody all our secret movie clubbers here and around the world we do wish you the best we will get through this take care all of you watch great movies we'll talk to you soon bye guys